It's really a wonderful passage we have before us, so I trust that you'll be, I hope that you'll be blessed this, this afternoon. So let's just pray real quick. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the Gospel of John. Thank you for this wonderful Gospel that you've given to us. It's been such a blessing to, to study this, this Gospel. I pray, Lord, that as we look at John chapter 9, that you'll, you'll really bless us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll show us Jesus, that you'll, that you'll allow us to see the, the glory of the Son of Man. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, most of us can only imagine what that would be like, being born blind. Now, Tommy Edison, a man born blind, who really has a big smile, a really good sense of humor, he's interviewed and he, he answers some pretty good questions. Tommy's asked, are you able to describe what you see, what you can see? And Tommy says, for me, I really don't see anything. I have a little bit of light perception, but I, I don't see any shadows. I don't see any color. There's nothing. Tommy, what about dreaming? When you dream, do you see images like someone who is sighted or are you blind? Tommy says, when I dream... I don't see anything because my subconscious doesn't know how to see. Therefore, I can't see in my dreams. So I dream in my other four senses. I can smell, taste, touch, and hear in my dreams. But I don't see anything. Your dreams are still very vivid though, right? Yes, very much so. What is something that you wish you could do but you cannot do because you are blind. For me, I would, I would like to catch a ball and not have somebody say, yeah, you go, all right, Tommy, here it comes now, hands out, get ready. I'd like to be able to just reach up and reach out and catch the ball. You know what I'm saying? That would be so cool. If you could have surgery that would help you see, would you do it? You know, yes. I would have to try it, although I think I would get tremendous headaches for the first few weeks of it. Because of all this brand new information to process that I've never experienced in my life. So, you know what? I'd love to try it. And if I didn't like it, I could always close my eyes and go back to the way it was before. So this last answer was interesting because the, the, the man in today's passage He's seeing everything for the first time. He's still busy processing everything, and yet he's in the midst of a serious discussion. It's enough for him that he's already having to, to process everything. And here we have this conversation that we're going to look at today. So here is this man born blind, and walking past this man, verses 2, Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So this was a belief at the time. Either it is you or your parents that is the cause of your suffering. Now, obviously, this question is something that the man had heard a lot himself. And he would have heard other people discuss it as well. His, per his parents also would have thought about this question a lot and would have really wrestled with the answers. 
And yeah, this man hears it again. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? So it, it was widely held in their day that suffering, especially something like blindness, is the result of sin. So often things like epilepsy were, were blamed on the sin of the parents. And there was also an idea that if you were a scholar of the Torah and you died before you finished your studies, that the reason for that was, must have been because your mother committed idolatry while she was pregnant with you. So this is really the, the belief of the day. This is the way they thought. And it's also the way that people still think today. You think of the idea of karma, um, the idea that if I do good things, then good things could happen to me. Or if I, if I do bad things, then bad things could happen to me. If you live the right way, then you might not come back as a cockroach. So when something bad happens, we think, what did you do to bring such suffering upon yourself? And the disciples as Jews are also thinking this way. This must be the result of this man's sin or his parents' sin. And now they look at Jesus for the answer. And Jesus re rejects both possibilities. In verses 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples had wrongly assumed that suffering is always because of sin. But Jesus says that it's not. So there, there are obviously times when suffering is the direct result of sin. If you steal somebody's car and you end up in prison, obviously that's as a result of your sin. But mostly there is no obvious connection between sin and suffering when it comes to somebody being born blind or somebody being born with Down syndrome, um, somebody getting very sick, it doesn't mean that it's a direct result of sin. All suffering is a part of sin in general, but not sin in particular. We live in a fallen world, so we should never be Job's counselors and think that we can figure out the reasons, for, the reasons why people are suffering. Even if somebody lost all of their money, um, lost their family, it doesn't mean that it's because of any particular sin. So it's, it's dangerous to think that you're a prophet and you can, you can figure everything out. The fact that there is suffering is because of living in this fallen age as a result of the, the original sin of Adam. Now it is, it is really important to know that as Christians, we can be assured that our suffering is not random. It is not a part of bad karma. Anything that we go through is a part of God's eternal purpose being worked out in our lives. So we can have comfort, even though we cannot possibly know the why as to why things are happening. Everything that happens in our lives is ultimately for our good. It's not that God takes what has happened in your life and then mixes it up for your good. It's that whatever is happening in your life is for your good. It's the very will of God, everything that's currently happening already. So there is no comparison between grace and karma. 
Grace is much better than karma because we don't get what we deserve. We get what Jesus deserves. So a very quick personal story. In 2005, uh, my mom got very sick and she died. And my mother was a Christian. And I had some friends sleeping at my house and my, my phone rang early in the morning. It was my grandfather. He told me that my mom had died. So I went over to their house, spoke to my grandparents, and I had to go to the mortuary to see where my mom was and, and see everything that was happening. So I went to the mortuary, and, and this African man, he opened this big fridge door, and there laying in her bedclothes was my mother. So I walked into the, this big room, and now Africans, they do church really loud a lot louder than we do at, at Covenant. But I, I prayed so loud for my mother that even this African man was shocked. And it was in, the, in this big cold room with real death, the death of my own mother. As I prayed, I just thanked Jesus that he's the resurrection and the life. And I, I, I had such a strong realization of the reality of the resurrected Christ, the ascended Jesus Christ, in the midst of this death. So it's really out of, the, out of the cross that we experience resurrection life. It's really out of death that we, that we can know the resurrection. God's glory shines through brokenness. Now my mom had left us some, some money, but in order to clear the money, it was, it was quite difficult. And one of my best friends, his dad is a, uh, was a Christian and he was also a lawyer. So I went to see my dad's friend. And in no time, he pulled a couple of strings and we received the money. Now, fairly recently, this lawyer that had helped me when my mom grew ill, when my mom died, this man got very sick and he died. So I've just been to South Africa on vacation, and I met my friend, my friend whose, whose dad died, and it's been very difficult for him to deal with his dad's death. So yeah, you have his dad, a Christian, my, my mom, a Christian, both of them suffering and dying. And I, I could go on and on, and I'm sure you could too with the many ways that you've suffered and people that you know have suffered, but ultimately the most Serious results of suffering is that we die. And with that said, I love what the Heidelberg Catechism says about death. Since then, Christ died for us. Why must we also die? And the answer is that our death is not a satisfaction for our sins, but only an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life. So even when we die, we don't make satisfaction for our sin. We don't die for the purpose, we, when we die, we don't die for the purpose of satisfying the justice of God. But our death is really just an entrance into glory. Our death is a shedding off of our sinful nature. So in our death, we, we receive all of the benefits that Jesus has accomplished for us. So all of us that are Christians, our graves have been sanctified. Our graves have been sanctified. And we're literally just passing through that door into glory. 
And we don't have some spiritual hope that we're going to just float around as ghosts one day. We have a, a physical hope. Our hope is that we're going to have a resurrected body. So whatever suffering we have in our bodies now, we have a, a real hope of having a new physical body in the future. And heaven is going to be a physical place. So this is the living hope that we have. And Jesus rose physically as the first fruits of the resurrection. Now the apostles all suffered tremendously during their lives. And when in chains, they experienced and knew Jesus Christ intimately. Paul says in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is really amazing. Paul knew the love of Christ in the midst of suffering, not questioned the love of Christ in the midst of suffering. He knew that the Father's wrath was fully poured out on Jesus, and what, his, what he was experiencing was not the wrath of the Father, but the work of the Father in his life. So there's a, there's a big difference between punishment and the loving Father's discipline in our lives. So things were going according to the will of God when they were in chains. And while they were in chains, they were blessed and they were seated with Christ in heavenly places. So Jesus says, this man's suffering is that the works of God might be displayed in him. So as with all signs in John, this man's healing has a purpose. So the purpose of the blind man's healing is to make the works of Christ visibly seen. The man was born blind so that Jesus could display what his work is and bring people to believe. Verses 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this verse looks tricky, but in chapter 13, we see that night comes when Jesus is betrayed and taken to the cross. And following his ascension, the work of Christ continues. Verse 6, having said these things, he spits on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So at this point, we need to know that Jesus really is who he says he is. The giving of, the, of sight to this blind man is something that only 
God can do. But did Jesus really perform this miracle? So it is important that this miracle is backed up with pure evidence. So the blind man's neighbors and his parents are soon going to be called for. Now look how Jesus' miracle is, is not in a cave when he's on his own. This is a public miracle. And, and John's gospel is full of eyewitnesses. And yeah, you have real people that are being spoken to. So we're given here our first glimpse of the man's spiritual understanding about Jesus. At this stage, he says, and they call Jesus. So he doesn't have full, the, this man who's been healed doesn't have full spiritual sight yet. They brought to the Pharisees, verses 13, the man who had, who had formerly been blind. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things, such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. So there is nothing in the law of God against, G against what Jesus has done for the man born blind. So the Jews had made 39 specific types of work that were illegal on the Sabbath day. And one of the prohibitions was that you couldn't knead dough and make bread on the Sabbath. So it may be that the Pharisees have concluded that this is what Jesus is doing. By mixing the spit and dust, he's he, he could be making clay. If so, they're accusing him of, of violating the Sabbath because of this. So never mind that that the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So if these people had been the people of God, they, they, should have been, they would have been praising God for the manifestation of His mercy on this poor man. Instead, they're accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. But others had a different opinion. Others raised an excellent question. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So this, this group seems to have a good grasp of the purpose of miracles, which is to authenticate revelation. So some of them therefore spoke out against the other Pharisees, saying, wait a minute, if this man is a sinner, he wouldn't be able to do these things. So, so they understood that miracles divine revelations of God. So there's this division amongst them. Now notice how these people are far from being pre-scientific in their evaluations of things. Now in their confusion, they decided to ask the healed man, the healed man for his opinion about Jesus. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. So this man begins to see more clearly. 
he is a prophet. So notice that he did not say he's the son of God, he's the son of man. He hadn't come to that full realization yet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He for himself. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So amazingly, they did believe that Jesus performed this miracle after talking to his parents. They believed the miracle. But how could this have happened on, if Jesus did it on the Sabbath by making mud? So we see how genuine this miracle is. They all believe it now. But at the same time, we see how stubborn these Jewish leaders are. Because despite the clear evidence, their minds are already made up. Now I think that the very question that the, that the disciples asked, who sinned, would have also been in the, in the minds of the parents throughout their lives. Rather than have it be them, maybe subconsciously they put the blame on their son. But it, it, it would have been so nice to have seen them excited and actually say, whoever did this to our son, we want to meet him and to know him. We've cried out to God for years about our son. We felt so much guilt and so much shame, even at the synagogue. But instead, they are afraid. Why? Because getting kicked out of the synagogue was in the hands of the Pharisees. So in that deeply religious society, getting booted out of the synagogue had tremendous financial and social implications. So this was a serious threat. And the parents know that if we say Jesus, if we confess Jesus, we might be judged as, as confessing faith in him and be kicked out of the synagogue. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, the Pharisees, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Just say it was God. It can't be Jesus, the man. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So this man is immovable about what has happened. So the Pharisees moved on to what Jesus has done. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I have told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
So this is such good irony. This is really good irony. And at this point, these Pharisees go absolutely nuts. And they reviled him. They criticized him in an angry way, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then the man rebutted, and he overturns the argument completely. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. This man knew that Jesus could not be the sinner that they're claiming he is. He's obviously from God. So their illogical position in verses 33 just drives this man closer to his conversion. He gives glory to God by saying, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So do you see how their theology of sin and suffering is coming out in the way they're speaking to this man? Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So after, after Jesus healed this man, he could see the world for the first time. He could see his, his family, his friends, he could see his city, he could see all the people that used to walk past him when he was begging as a blind man. And he's still getting used to seeing everything for the first time. And right as he's getting used to seeing all these new images, he sees the most important thing that, he's, that he ever needed to see. He sees Jesus as the Son of Man. He first sees physically, and then he starts to see more and more spiritually. And finally, he sees the Son of Man. Now, the ultimate sight for any human being is to see Jesus as the Son of Man, as the Son of God. Now, it's interesting that he first referred to Jesus as a man. Now, many today refer to Jesus as a man. There are so many who, who like the teachings of Jesus, you think of guys like Jordan Peterson, nothing wrong with Jesus being a man, some great philosophy, he's a good example, let's follow Jesus as a man. Many do that today, he's a good teacher, let's follow him. Later the man refers to Jesus as a prophet. There are obviously those who refer to Jesus as a prophet today, he's nothing more than a prophet. Think of Islam, Jesus is a, is a good prophet, peace be upon him. But finally, he received spiritual sight and he sees Jesus as the Son of Man and he believes in him and he worships him. So this is what somebody who receives spiritual sight sees. Jesus as the Son of Man. This sight was far more valuable 
than even the receiving of, of physical sight. His healing, his, his being healed of physical blindness was nothing compared to the, the fact that he was, healed, he was healed spiritually. Jesus opened this man's spiritual eyes and he sees Jesus as the Son of Man. This is the, this is the ultimate sight that this man received. And Jesus then said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see your guilt remains. So Jesus here explains what has been going on from John chapter 5 to chapter 8. Jesus is the light of the world, but his light does two different things. The light of Jesus, either the light of Jesus, it blinds the hard-hearted who, like the Pharisees in this chapter, are convinced that they see everything, but who in reality are blind. They claim to see everything and they end up seeing nothing. But his light, the light of Jesus, illumines those who are willing to believe in the significance of the signs. The blind man who couldn't, who, who couldn't see anything is the one who ends up seeing. So the Son of Man brings this judging, life-giving Light. Jesus' work as the light of the world is to give sight to the blind and to blind those who think they can see. So being physically blind is dangerous. Uh, you could potentially walk off a cliff. You could walk into a road and a fast car comes, comes driving by and hits you. You could be walking and you step on a hot coal. But being spiritually blind is far more dangerous. If you are blind, you can still get a guide dog to help you. You can have a dog that takes you on the subway and helps you around the city of Seoul. But being spiritually blind has eternal consequences. No guide dog can help you eternally. Now the application to John's original readers is clear. John wants his readers not to be shaken by the fact that many of God's historic people have rejected his son. So until now, instead of repentance, Jesus has been rejected by many. Now the reason why that most of the historic people were unable to accept God's son was because they did not really belong to God. Last week, Jesus told them that you're really children of the devil. So as we heard from Don last week, Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And how did they answer him? We are offspring of Abraham. We're not slaves to anybody. How dare you say that we'll become free? So they thought that they were enlightened. We can see and we are free. How dare you suggest that we're actually blind and we're slaves? So all of this was a massive shock to John's audience. And we today, we sometimes, we don't actually really think deeply enough 
about the, these historic people rejecting Jesus. But it's, it was so big for the original readers. And so John wants to persuade his readers that Jesus is the Christ. They must and should believe in him, even if so many of the Jews didn't. The reason that so many Jews didn't believe is a reflection of their own sin, and not because Jesus is false. That's what John's trying to show us. This passage in, in John chapter 9 shows us that clearly Jesus is true, and their conclusions are false. So John would have used the story of the blind man a lot in his preaching to show the truth of Jesus. John's readers should not be overwhelmed when it seems impossible for anyone to be able to recognize God's rescuer. Why? Because it is Jesus who gives sight to the blind, and he will keep those in whom he's working. So the only qualification required for sight to be given is a recognition of blindness. But for those who think that they can see, there is no hope. Now to us now, we should be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. We should be humbled by the fact that we have come to believe. We should know that his work as the light of the world involves spiritual blinding as well as the giving of spiritual sight. So this should encourage us in our evangelism because the opening of blind eyes is the work of Christ and he will do it completely no matter what the reaction of the world is. So Jesus is the only one who can switch on the light of those who are spiritually blind. No one will watch and see anything without Jesus giving sight to the blind. So we were all once like this blind man. Jesus had to completely transform our hearts. He had to give us sight. He had to allow us the truth. And we've got to be thankful for this work of Christ in our lives. It's because Jesus does open blind eyes that we preach the gospel. That is why we preach the gospel boldly, because Jesus opens blind eyes. If blind eyes are not open, you're wasting your time. You may as well go and just speak to the wall. It's a waste of time. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, as we respond to Jesus, he gives us increasing sight. These verses in John 9 show us how this happens from a human perspective. So after looking at chapter 9, we have to conclude that spiritual certainty is actually possible. Jesus does reveal himself personally to people without doubt. We can see from John chapter 9 that it is okay to ask questions and not claim to know everything. If you are asking many questions, that is absolutely wonderful. Study through the Gospels. Keep looking and listening to Christ. 
The big problem, the biggest problem, is to be like many secular atheists who think that they can see clearly. They can see everything clearly. They will remain blind and see absolutely nothing. Humble yourselves before Jesus, the one who gives sight to the blind, and he can make you see either instantly or progressively. You may, be a, you may be a Christian here today and you feel pretty numb spiritually. You've lost your spiritual enthusiasm. Maybe you feel like everything is just words, purely intellectual, a bunch of routines. But we also need to respond to the light that we have received here at Covenant Church. Many of us have heard and read a lot and we've received so much light by the grace of God we also need to respond. We are a fishing boat. This is a fishing boat. This is not a cruise ship. Look how the man in today's passage faced opposition boldly. He responded to the light that he received, even in the midst of hostility. In John chapter 4, it says, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So Covenant Church, we are, we are children of God. We're on our way to heaven. But let's not be hungry Christians who are not eating the meat of God's kingdom. Let's respond to the Great Commission this year. Do, do you think that, that the missionary graveyard in the city of Seoul was only for those foreigners? It's not for us. It was only for them. Not at all. The gospel is exactly the same, and this is still South Korea. So I, I ask that, that as many of you as, as possible this year will, will join two faithful brothers, Don Bacon and J1 Park, in our Gangnam Station outreach ministry that happens every Thursday night, and respond to what, whatever Jesus is leading you to do in our church this year. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus amongst our friends and family or people that we know at work. Let's respond to not being ashamed of him. In closing, these that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the content of the gospel. Leave these things and have life. Let us pray.